Welcome to Funny Women Behind the Scenes, a sequent covered podcast hosted by international showgirl and comedian Ivy Page. We'll be exploring what it's really like to work in the entertainment industry, from live comedy and cabaret to television and film. Brought to you by Funny Women, the leading community for female comedy. So, let's get on with the show and welcome your host, Ivy Page. Hello and welcome to the real life work of art or piece of work, award deserving, flame haired, titan of teas. Yes, it's me, Ivy Page. It's time to take a seat on my chaise lounge in my personal burlesque boudoir as we break the fourth wall, draw back the velvet curtains, and reveal what really happens. Behind the scenes. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Drag Royalty. She's a drag superstar and finalist of RuPaul's Drag Race. It's the one and only Davina DeCampo. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. <laughs> and what a joy. I'm so pleased to have been asked. Thank you so much. I'm not sure I technically fit the descriptor, uh, but I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> and also fellow redhead. Yeah, well, I mean, not quite. I mean, it's out of a bottle, but yeah. <laughs> still counts. It still counts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, um, I have to tell you that I am a massive fan and I followed your journey religiously um, on Drag Race. And I, I'm not going to lie, I actually cried. Oh. Your inspiration. But so let's, th- I want to go right back to the beginning um, okay. of your journey. So how did, how did Davina DeCampo come about? What was the beginning point for you? Uh, so like my journey into drag's, kind of really different to everybody else's because most people it's you know like you go out one night in a dress with a cheap wig on and get drunk and it's halloween and then you go i really enjoyed this i'm gonna do it again mine was uh from reading like butler and uh looking at politics and reading about politics of performance and um uh, yeah, so like from an academic standpoint, and then also kind of looking at uh, what do I look like? Mm-hmm. What do I sound like? I'm never going to be Jean Valjean. What the fuck am I going to do with myself? <laughs> <laughs> you sound amazing, by the way. You well, but I, you know, I don't sound like uh, a butch fella. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I have played straight before. It's not really, I'm probably the least convincing uh, straight person (laughs) going. Uh, It's just, you know, I sound the way that I do. I look the way that I do. And you have to sort of go, okay, what do I do with that? Um, And so actually drag makes perfect sense because I can carve out a, a really happy, interesting, exciting, fulfilling career. Um, while leaning into what I've already kind of got, you know? Because most of the time, my drag face is just my face with makeup on. <laughs> I 
feel like that when I'm being Ivy Page, though. Yeah. And I also understand that about what what where do I fit in this kind of like performance me and you I felt that with uh, when I when I first started out singing as Ivy Page because I was again I was like okay I'm not ever going to be Kylie Minogue mm. um that's not my voice where do I fit and I the world of cabaret kind of took me under its umbrella so I find that very interesting but I wanted to ask you in terms of the context of drag what does drag mean to you Oh, freedom. Absolute freedom. You can, like, you know, it's very much like burlesque in the way that you can create things. You know, so if you want to do something that is about ancient Rome, you can. You just decide on the costume, you decide on the premise for the song, you rewrite it or you write the song yourself or, you know, or if you want to do something that's, you know, about social politics now you can absolutely do that too you know so that it just it gives you the freedom to work in any arena um which i don't i don't think there's you know there aren't that many opportunities to do that mm. in the same you know art sphere so like on a saturday night i could quite easily do something about the greek um economic collapse and then be doing something about getting pissed on prom night, you know? <laughs> so I can be doing those two things in the same night. And it's so rare that you're able to do that, you know? You can be a whole variety show just in in one bag. And is that what people, when people come to your shows, is that what is that what they're going to get? A, a big mix of stuff, yeah. I, I kind of approach doing a show a bit like a wedding, you know, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. And then that way you kind of cover every base and uh, ev there's something for everybody then, you know. Maybe you're not going to like the third number in the show, but you're going to like the rest of them. Um, and so uh, that's kind of how I've always worked. The interesting thing is, you know, drag, particularly for me, like I've always done loads of different things. So I've done really conceptual, uh, higher art work, as well as doing like really commercial, mm. uh, lowest common denominator, I call it lowest common denominator, you know, so the kind of work that no matter where you go, you can do that. It's going to get a laugh or it's going to get... And everyone loves it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I have songs like that. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all have those those kind of tracks in our set. Where I call you go, them my bankers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that, you know, you go out, you get a feel for the audience and you go, okay, this is not the show that I brought tonight. Um, we're going to reevaluate this and we're going to go to the, the things that I just know are going to work because these guys are not, you know, like sometimes on a Sunday you do a show and in some venues, a Sunday night is the sit down, pay attention, they're there for cabaret. And in other venues, you go and you're like, this is like a Friday, Saturday night audience, but on a Sunday. Mm. So this isn't like the cabaret audience. This is the party audience. That's what they want and need. You must have a really large repertoire of work to be able to kind of dip, to, to react to the audience in, in such an immediate way. Um, yes, I... Uh, when we so I started off in Stoke, um, in Stoke on Trent, in Hanley, up Hanley Duck, um, at the club, and then we moved from the club to uh, the factory. So we opened a new venue, and I was running the the show team 
Um, and so I had like a rotor of people. It was me, very cherry, and then another like guest every week. Um, and each of those guests had four uh, themed shows. And then we had, you know, like your generic whatever is in the charts, whatever's going on kind of show. Mm. Um, so, you know, it meant that... It, the audience would only ever see the same show maybe once every two, every uh, half a year, you know, every six months, maybe you'll see the same show. Um, so it just meant that from that, I had, you know, all of this massive amount of material to go, oh, okay. This is, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, well, I mean, drag and um, just singers, like it was a cabaret show really, you know, so um, people would, create these different characters that they would get on stage and perform or, you know, and each number was different. They were all their own kind of self-contained uh, number, even if they were sitting within a larger, you know, themed show. Um, so sometimes we do like, uh, you know, Mariah Carey and Nicki Minaj had that whole blowout, didn't they? So we yeah. did Nicki versus Mariah or we did Madonna versus um, Gaga or, or we would do Chicago or, a cabaret you know what what you sitting at home in your room um so you know that was like a real uh training ground for me the factory i'd kind of done loads of stuff at the club that had been um really well received mm. um but the factory was where like so much work happened because every week we were generating new material um yeah, it was, that was a, a, an amazing time, really. And just like, I don't know if you've ever had that where you, somebody has just fully given you the space and gone, right, here's the space, make something happen. Yeah, I've uh, had that. I had that very early. I was very lucky, similarly, actually, to work in cabaret clubs in London um, where we could just turn up and do whatever we liked. Mm. And we did, I remember doing a, an act to Abba's Waterloo with French sticks and, uh, you know, <laughs> which I would then eat for my lunch because I was such a poor performer. So, so, um, and, you know, I often look back to those early days because there was a certain sense of freedom mm. um, in you hadn't achieved the success that we have now. But both, I want to talk about this in, in a second because both of you and I have had uh, success on, you know, TV shows mm. doing our work. But that, Time, that really significant period of time in the club you have the only expectation is your own expectation isn't it and there's a real I just remember with a being with a glue gun and you know I haven't got any money so what, yeah. how can I be creative and expandable foam so much expandable foam <laughs> I, I miss though I actually do miss that time of not worrying about how much money I was earning or not worrying about it needs to be completely polished, but m more worrying about the creativity of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely. And I think, um, I'm coming back to a bit of that after drag race, you know, drag race. Uh, I've been talking about this a lot, actually about drag race, the expectations placed upon people are, um, they're just unrealistic. You know, you don't go on the voice. And have to deliver 10 grand's worth of costumes. No. You don't go on Britain's Got Talent or 
uh, X Factor or... You so know, is there that, is... I mean, I don't know, but is that how much really it's going to... It would cost somebody to have, you know, 10... Was it 10 episodes of, of costumes? Is that really realistic? It's... Uh, so, you know, you're not allowed to take H&M. ASOS is fine, but no H&M. Uh, so... If if you are saying that all of your outfits, and that is the implication of what was said on there, if you're saying that, uh, you know, all of your outfits should be custom, um, that costs money, you know? Mm. Like I spent, I spent close to 10,000. 10, you're listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes. All the backstage gossip and more. I rewatched the series actually, um, which I just love it. Um, but one of the things I did pick up on on your journey is how hard you are on yourself and what a perfectionist you are. And do you think that's reflected in in terms of as well every single element of your performance, from the co- you know the costumes, you want it to be elevated? Yeah, I think so. I think just because you know, I, I really feel a responsibility to the audience you know like oh, if they that's so important if they've paid a, paid to come and see this show <clears throat> well you know that that's it say they've spent 15 quid to come to the show well that's two hours of their time mm. and that's all of those people have given two hours of their time to come and watch this show well that means that then i kind of have the responsibility to put close to the same amount of time as they've put in to come to this mm. i should be putting that in kind of the same as well um and and that means every aspect of it should be as good as i can possibly make it you know i feel that responsibility to them and that was you know on drag race i was fucking mental completely bonkers you can see it in my face I'm, everything is so tight i have a question how long is it filmed over when it's uh every every two days is an episode Oh, so you have a short amount of time. Super short, yeah. Like if you work in a an office, the way that I sort of uh, describe it is that it's your end of year project and your end of year appraisal every two days. So imagine those levels of stress that you go through having that, you know, that every single two days of those three weeks, and these are long days, you know, it's 16 hour days every single day. So uh, it's the, the whole place is correct. Um, and I really felt the responsibility to um, the everybody else in the UK, you know, the rest of the UK drag girls, because this is the first time that the world is being exposed to UK drag since Lily Savage. Yeah. You know, since that, who have we had since then? Mrs. Brown's boys. And that's it. So, you know, in terms of, you know, national and international exposure for for UK drag, this is the first time. So I really felt that pressure to make everything as good as it could possibly be. Um, and uh, what I would say to other people is, don't carry that. That's not your fucking responsibility. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. Don't be crazy. Because um, I, like, I, you know, you watch it back and I am so, ew, my face did is watch, so... Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I did. Um it's yeah, I was I was really pleased with how I came across. I did exactly what I wanted to do, which was, you know, I'd done loads of TV stuff before, but it always just been 
the showgirl Davina. You know, it had never been the real person as well. Mm. Um, so it gave me the opportunity to build a relationship with uh, the UK public. And the only way really to do that is to be completely open and honest. Mm. Um, and so I, I, as much as you, as much as you possibly can on reality TV, I, I was that, you know, I was as open and honest about everything as I possibly could be. So this is a really interesting point because both you and I have done a significant mm. amount of work in the cabaret clubs and, you know, touring for years, uh, honed our craft and then, have had this opportunity to be on TV. Now, I, I was on The Voice. I know you, I've seen your amazing audition on The Voice and obviously your journey on Drag Race. It, I think it's very interesting as a cabaret artist um, to flip your work into TV yeah. because it's a completely different discipline and things that work in the club don't work in the same way on TV. And I had the similar conversation with myself of, you know, how do I make this work for television? And it is really different. And it is. And you have to understand as well, you know, what it is first before you go for it. Like with The Voice, um, when when they were having me chat to the psych evaluation person, oh, yeah. uh, she was great, you know, really, really nice. But she's like, so if they don't turn around, <laughs> how are you going to feel? And she's got a pencil and she's, you know, mm. and I'm like, well, I know why I'm here. I'm like the comedy relief. Nobody's turning around for me. And I'm good with that. I know why I'm here. I'm here for that little bit of interest at the beginning. I'm not going to the second stage. I understand that. Yeah. Brought that song for that exact reason. No. And also when you're in a, a formatted TV show, there is there's a certain machine behind it anyway, which again, why it's really important. I always say when people say to me, should I go on a show? And I'm like, just ask yourself, what do you want at the end of it? And competitions are effectively, exactly as we're saying, they're about exposure. If you go in with the right attitude, you will be a winner. You don't have to take the end prize. No. Like, I went, I went in and got exactly what I wanted from it. People were writing about me in Italy and Australia and Canada and Brazil and, um, you know, all over the place. People were writing about they didn't turn around for this person singing this song. What was going on? Mm. You know, and I went in there knowing that they wouldn't do. Of course you're not going to turn around for... <laughs> like it's Gilbert and Sullivan. This is Funny Women Behind the Scenes. If you want to know more about us, visit www.funnywomen.com. I know we've spoken quite a lot about Drag Race, but... Um... Do you think it is a is a true reflection of the reality of the drag scene? What's your thoughts on that? No, not even close. Anybody who works on the drag scene knows that, you know, un until you get to a certain level, you're not getting paid very well. You know, just drag is not paid very well at all. You're expected to have done everything that, you know, John, who's the singer at the Working Men's Club, does and can turn up every week in the same suit, but you have to do everything else that he doesn't have to do on top of all of that. Mm. Um, so the, the expectation for drag is, you know, enormous, but the reality of working in drag is very, very low. You know, you come very low down in the financial pecking order. In terms of changing the landscape, um, like, you know, 
our our ideal vision for the future for live entertainment. Um, if bookers were keep because obviously RuPaul's Drag Race has a f- championed a certain obviously a certain style of drag, hasn't it? Yeah. But, so I'm noticing, certainly in cabaret shows, um, there's more of a focus on that. But what advice would you give bookers? Because they're obviously only seeing a certain element of drag, aren't they, on the show? Yeah. I mean, just the same as I would say to anybody else. Like, diversity is what makes for an interesting show, mm. you know? So it is that old, new, borrowed blue. If I, If all I ever see of drag is the same clone, and that is the, the, unfortunately, that is where we're kind of heading. You know, it's, um, oh, Dallas, Dallas Delaforce. You would never see Dallas on um, Drag Race because mm. she doesn't fit. She wouldn't work on the show. But as a cabaret artist and a burlesque performer, is she incredibly amazing? Yes, she fucking is. So you should be booking people like that who, because I don't really care what people look like. No. If what they're doing is great, you know? Yes. I've I've done burlesque shows where, you know, maybe the outfits are a bit rough, but the idea in the number is so good. I don't give a rat's ass that she doesn't, you know, that the outfit is from Smithies. I don't care. And she's put a zip in the back. I don't care because actually what she's doing on stage is making, is making me feel and think. And, you know, I'm having a visceral response to this. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) You know, I would much rather that than have somebody in a 12,000 pound encrusted Swarovski dress Mm. who just looks nice. Yeah. Great. You look nice. What do you it's do? It's the of the performer, isn't it? It's that, there's that, just, you can't even, I don't even know what the word is for it, but it's that thing that makes you just engage with somebody on stage. Talent, yeah. energy, personality. Um, I would completely agree. One of the things I want to ask, because we're going to have to wind up soon. Oh my God. It's so quickly. I know it's gone. <laughs> just keep chatting. Well, what we'll do is we'll end the podcast and we'll just carry on. <laughs> Get the wine up. Um, for those who are starting out in mm. drag, what are what advice would you give them? Don't copy. Don't copy other people. It's fine to take references from people. It's fine, you know, like everybody used to do. You gotta have boobs if you want to impress tycoons and rubes. You know, that's fine. Like it's one of those staples in the drag community that everybody would do that number. But it's about how you do it. You know, so what is it that you're going to do with with your drag? What is it that you want to say? Because that then will inform everything else. And drag is for all genders. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yes. So that is one of the things that uh, Drag Race needs to catch up on. They're still stuck in like, you know, 1980, I think it was 88, Miss America, Miss... Uh, drag America opened up to uh, trans competitors and so drag race itself is stuck in 1980 you know it's stuck way 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 back in time and the problem that I have with that is um, it's exclusionary 
Mm. And drag isn't exclusionary. It is for everybody. Anybody can do drag. Anybody at all. Trans, straight, cis, white, black, whatever. It doesn't matter because it's about turning society's expectations on its head and saying, no, don't have to do that. And so at the moment, this focus on this is what you should look like to look like a woman, which I mean is a false narrative anyway. You know, I don't know any women who look like RuPaul. I have never met a single woman in my entire life that actually looks like RuPaul. So, you know, creating this narrative that in order to be successful, this is what you must do. All that's doing is reinforcing the patriarchy and the binary. Well, Davina, I was a fan at the start, but I'm a super fan now. (laughs) And I know our listeners will be. It's been an absolute joy. I rambled so much in this. I'm sorry. Like, I jumped all over the place. Oh, no, it's okay. I I had questions and I just abandoned them. (laughs) I'm going to get told off by my producer. (laughs) Before we go, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, dead easy. D-I-V-I-N-A. It's just like your body. Two I's and a big A. Um, Divina DeCampo on everything. So come and see me on Instagram. And uh, so Instagram is like lovely, happy, joyful pictures and the occasional uh, this shit's happening in Turkey. Twitter is, um, you know, much more politics and social commentary and uh facebook is just a hellhole so don't even go to facebook (laughs) see you on twitter and instagram guys (laughs) thank you so much davina enjoy the rest of your day you too darling thank you Well, I'm looking over and I'm coercing her uh, to come and join me in my burlesque boudoir. She leaves the uh, gin cabinet. It's, of course, Lynn Parker. Hello, Lynn. Hello. I'm just sticking on a few rhinestones and sequins. Well, I'm very <laughs> glad to hear it. Oh, you've been in there all week, so yeah. you've plenty of time. Kept me busy. Absolutely. And obviously the eyelashes, which um, I think we all need. <laughs> yeah, I'm fluttering mine right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my breeze is. So, uh, well, that was incredible, wasn't it? Listening and talking to Davina DeCampo. I'm so excited uh, to hear what she had to say, because I think there's a lot to be learned from the principles of drag, just in terms of performance and professionality. Uh, I just love what she had to say about getting to the gig early, checking out her audiences. I just think that doesn't matter what you are as a performer. That no, it really doesn't. And I, I think there is, I, I, I was very interested and kind of delighted to hear really about the crossovers between, you know, what, what I, burlesque and cabaret and, and the world of drag and how they link together. And actually the professionalism is, is extraordinary. extraordinary. Yeah. You know, when you watch them on drag race week after week and just the amount of effort and time that goes into those outfits and the makeup i yeah I, I think we all watch it through a sort of glossy haze but the reality is it's it's super hard work and, and, and yeah <laughs> and it costs a lot of money and uh, you know people don't realize that i'm sure it was the same for you when you were doing um the voice you know thinking about what you're going to wear i mean you look amazing in that you know um that doesn't go without thought does it no it doesn't and I, I'm I was particularly 
interested, you know, I think it came across on the show actually, um, Drag Race, when uh, Davina was in it, about her utter um, incredible work ethic and professionalism. And I know we've spoken to other artists on the podcast about, how, you know, having a strong work ethic is really important. And in terms of, we, we can kind of compare drag to comedy, like the crossovers, that level and attention to preparation, well, we can immediately apply that to comedy because to write your material, you can't, you're not going to do that in two minutes. No, you can't just arrive somewhere, get on stage and expect to have five minutes of stand-up. I, I do remember very early on in the the growth of funny women uh, arriving at a, a venue for a heat and watching a very lovely attractive young woman standing at the bar with all her mates having a beer and thinking she's super confident she's gonna she should be great you know she's got all this confidence with her friends and it, it was a classic a classic case of somebody who had the idea that she wanted to do stand-up but actually hadn't worked it out so mm. when she got on stage she had nothing to say she just stood there she'd obviously seen loads of comedians get on stage with their pint of beer and thought that's what i got to do i'm just going to chat to my mates and that's exactly what she did she drank her beer and chatted to her mates for five minutes it wasn't funny and mm. i felt very sad i didn't feel cross i just thought well this is part of the process i mean you know, we were seeing everybody at that stage. I mean, we do now because we have so many entries, we have to filter it out a bit. But, you know, it was valid. And I hope I hope she went on and learnt a lesson and did write some material because she clearly hadn't written any material. Uh, and sometimes what you think is funny with your mates or an idea, you just have to rehearse it. You can't just expect to sit around in front of the telly at home and say something funny and then think that you can do a stand-up routine because it is well, we've spoken about this haven't we the science of comedy yeah and it, it is there is so much work i mean you know preparation is all most comedians have they write in different ways some people actually write a script uh, some people have little bullet points that they work to you know is the classic of where you see comedians with things written all over their hands <laughs> up their arm <laughs> whatever you know whatever helps you to remember it and I think that's exactly the same whether you're um, a burlesque artist or a drag queen you've got to have preparation and you know I, I think there is a whole production value issue around stand-up that makes me cross I don't know where it's perpetuated from I think I hate to say it, but I do think it's a bit blokey as well. Any bloke can get on stage in a pair of skinny jeans and a check shirt, a pint of beer in his hand and be funny. No, not funny. Not funny at all. We, I think women are really good at comedy. I think they work much harder. I think because we have to work harder. Yeah, that's probably the of the landscape really, isn't it? Of having to, having yeah. to work harder to get ahead, which is what we're changing now. And then you look at the work ethic of the drag queens, it's off the scale. You know, I'm a confident woman, really confident woman, but I watch these performers, and not just on TV, you know, I'm around drag performers in my day job, um, and the confidence that they exude is, is so inspiring to me that I'd, I'd love to channel that in a different way than perhaps what I do on stage, you know, and I'd love to learn about that a bit more. And I know that there will be so many other people listening to this 
that will will want to do that too and and you know i'm in my 60s and i want to be davina del campo you know i yeah. want i want that what what is that how do we bottle that how do we as older women you know when you're feeling less secure about the way you look some of the best times i've had i'll be honest is when i've dressed up um we used to do community panto when my kids were growing up and we dressed up i was a witch i was some weird prince i've been all sorts of weird and wonderful things and that is some of the most fun i've ever had standing up i mean you know literally because you it's permission to be something different and i think that's kind of that that's the kernel of what davina was saying yeah well it's that thing of you know drag gives you freedom i that's the same for me cabaret burlesque uh, variety gives me freedom it's like you don't fit quite into the mainstream form of what the perception of entertainment is and yet both of her her and i have both managed to take what we do and put it in a mainstream format which is an interesting journey which leads me to talk about competitions and choosing the right one i think competitions are great as long as you go into it with your game plan understanding the machine that the competition is uh, and then embracing that for all for all that you can well clearly heartland for me because i run a competition and the value of any competition including the funny women awards is really getting people to see you you can hide away you can scuttle around the comedy clubs you can write scripts and send them into commissioning editors but you know anything like drag race the voice britain's got talent it gives you the opportunity to get what you do in front of influential people because everyone looks at it i mean the bgt team do sniff around the funny women awards because they know there are lots of new acts coming through and the the repercussions of this is really interesting to me because the repercussions of being in a competition and people seeing you um they ripple way after the competition for example i met you in 2013 at funny women the funny women was i didn't win i got to the semi-finals i was so happy with that because obviously at that point i didn't even really consider myself a stand-up comic but that connection has had amazing repercussions for me the voice now i was on the voice in 2018 um in the last couple of weeks, they have put shown my audition on various different social media platforms. And I've had three and a half million views on social media, probably in the last what, week and a half. And that's pushed all my work back up again. So these, these competitions can, can really give you a, a much bigger reach than you're going to get. And this, this material is evergreen. You know, it was two years ago, nearly three years ago, but it's still valid. I mean, we've we've been sharing it on our brand new Funny Women TikTok uh, platform um, because it's a great bit of publicity for you, for what we do. Um, It's funny, you know, and that's why they're re-showing it. So everything you do is valid. Um, There are, you know, there's there's always going to be a dark side of this, but let's stick to the positive on that. And, you know, that clip, the fact that you are still sharing it, is really powerful um and davina will be dining out on rupaul for years to come as well yeah so she should you know that's what it's there for and that's why i think you know when people ask me i say look at the competition 
Think about what it's going to do for you and your career and then ride that way for yourself. Don't even necessarily worry about the end goal. Well, I'm exhausted now, so I'm going to pop back to the older... Um, I'm going to send you back to the dean cabinet. I'm going to send you packing with your crystals, <laughs> your glue gun. Glue gun, yeah. And, uh, and I'll, I'll see you next week and, um, in all your glittery and finery. Thanks as ever, Ivy Page. My pleasure. You've been listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes with Ivy Page. If you like us, please subscribe, review and share.